join me in prayer. God, thanks for your love for us. Thanks for a relationship. Thanks for being a God who forgives. Thanks for being a God who rescues and redeems. God, thank you for being the, just the solid rock that you are. God, the one that we can always go to. May we live to worship you. In your son, Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you, Josh and the band. What an incredible job they did this morning as uh, Mitch is away and, and uh, experiencing and enjoying some time with his family down in Mississippi. So we're uh, just so thankful that Mitch was able to get some time away and Josh and just the band did an incredible job filling in. Hey, if you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6. It was an overcast day as I pulled up to the gates of Cedar Point on the lovely shores of Sandusky, Ohio. As I looked out and saw all of the roller coasters beginning to run, we scanned our tickets, got our wristbands for free refills all day long, and walked into the park. And for a couple hours, we had nothing but goodness as we rode rides and together as Mission View student ministry, we talked with one another and we experienced joy and laughter and teenage angst and it was a glorious day. And then the skies opened, the rains came, and Cedar Point is a terrible place to be stranded in the middle of a rainstorm. And so we huddled under a little, little shelter that we could find. And for an hour, we discussed all kinds of wonderful things. And then the rain ceased, and it was time once again to resume riding. And so we went directly to the power tower. Now, the power tower is a great option because it's a couple years old, and it's lost much of its luster. It, it pe takes people up like 250 feet and then drops you suddenly, which sounds like an impressive feat, except for the fact that a couple hundred feet away is a roller coaster that takes you up over 420 feet. And so 250 in the shadow of 420 really isn't all that. And so we went to the power tower because there were no lines. And that was a great idea until I looked out and I saw the seat that I was about to sit in was absolutely drenched. It was wet. And I looked at the Cedar Point employees like, you, you got a towel or anything? And I, before I even asked the question, I'm like, never mind. They don't. This is not going to be fun. And I look over to my left, and I see our student pastor, Nick Kelsey, sit down in a seat, stand up out of his seat, and then offer it to his wife. And then he sat down in a, the next seat, and I went for it. <laughs> and he stayed seated. And then I hear from across the power tower the words of Miranda Chandler. And she says, my seat is dry. My seat is dry. And I ran over to see what she had done to get this incredible feat, a dry seat. And I noticed that in her hands, she was clenching a sweatshirt that she had been carrying around all day. And I went to grab the sweatshirt, and she pulled it away from me. And so the only logical conclusion I could draw from this was not that she didn't want me to use her sweatshirt. The only logical conclusion I could draw from this is she wanted me to use her dry seat. And so I ran for her dry seat. And I sat down in her dry seat. And I, pull, I pulled the shoulder bar down over me. 
and I held it. And Miranda began to shout at me, and I held it. And she took her sweatshirt and began to assault me with it. She hit me repeatedly. I was a victim, and the people at Cedar Point were doing nothing to step in. I had a case. I was being assaulted, violently, I might add. And then I heard the sound that I wanted to hear. The mechanism locked. And I let go of the shoulder bar, and she was saying, get up. And to which I merely replied, I can't. It's locked. I can't. And she hit me again with her sweatshirt, and she leaves with these departing remarks, and I quote, I hate you, and I want you to know that cut me to the core because I'm a very sensitive person. And I was just sitting there, and she just continued with her, with her assault. It was a barrage of insults and hatred, and she was screaming them at the top of her lungs to the point the Cedar Point employee, when they came around and asked, they came around to check that our shoulder bars were all locked in the plates. They asked, are you Brian? And to which I responded, yes. And they said, that girl really hates you. <laughs> but my seat was dry. And it was glorious. And I'm here to let you know, had I, did, had it, had I the opportunity to do it all over again, I would. <laughs> exactly like I did. Because for the remainder of the day, my butt was dry. And Miranda's sweatshirt was soaked. Win for Brian. I hate you. I, I started thinking about that. I started thinking about, about hate, and I, and I started thinking about how we hate so many people and, and so many things. I mean, people hate a, a lot of things. Erica Weil, who's co-leading our, our single ladies group along with Kristen Guthrie, she hates the circus. She hates the circus. And this, to me, is like unheard of. Who hates circuses? And then I, I found recently there was a circus in the area, and people were picketing the circus. They were holding up signs. They were picketing. And, and you want to know why? I do. I'm like, why would you picket a circus out of everything? Here's the reasoning, and I quote, circuses are wrong. The animals do not have a choice. They are not compensated. Now, I don't know about you. But I've never seen an animal walk into a bank as I was getting ready to cash a check. I mean, I, call me crazy. It's not that I'm an animal hater. I mean, you're never going to see me donate to Sarah McLaughlin and her dogs, all right? But I'm not an animal hater. But I just think there's other problems we need to worry about in this life than if Dumbo got enough peanuts after his performance at the circus. That's just me. If I'm going to hate something, if I'm going to pick at something, maybe it's world hunger. Maybe it's terrorism. Maybe it's, it's a long list of atrocities that I'm going to be willing to stand up for and picket against long before I get to the circus. All right, That's just me, but people have all kinds of things that they hate. They hate circuses. They hate politicians. They hate political parties. They hate their neighbors. They hate their wife. They hate all kinds of things. And so we've got this, we've got this very strong emotion. Hate. It's incredibly strong. And this morning as we look at Proverbs 6, we're going to see some verses that are just so, so revealing about God's heart. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, 
A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Now, this, this portion of Proverbs chapter 6 is employing a mnemonic device. It's, it's, it utilizes the numbers. It's, it's done so that it draws your attention and that you can remember. And so the mnemonic device that's utilized here is there are six things that the Lord hates, seven of which are an abomination. It builds a number. It's to catch your attention. It's to help you remember. These are the things that God feels passionately about. These are the things that God hates. Now, this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. Just one example, Deuteronomy 16, 22, it lets us know that God hates idolatry. And you'll notice nowhere in this list is idolatry mentioned. So it's important to know that this is a mnemonic device and this is not an exhaustive list of all things that God hates. God hates more than these six or seven things. But we're, for this morning, just going to look at these six or seven things as, as they are special things that God hates. Now, I've, gotta, I've just got to be honest with you. On one level, this is, this is a little bit uncomfortable. This is a little bit uncomfortable. Because we love to think about God and his love for people. We all know 1 John 4, 8. God is love. That's 1 John 4, 8. God is, God is love. We all understand that, we all know that, we all run to that, and we cling to it, and we all celebrate that, and that's something that we applaud and we get behind. God is love. It makes us feel good. It's like, yes, that's great. God is love. That's, that's awesome. But within God, there's a love-hate dynamic. There's a love-hate dynamic within God. And, and just the very idea of hate can stir up some strong emotions. I was on vacation not too long ago with my entire family. Um, and so my sister and her husband were there, and their four children, five and under. Yes, that's right. Four children, five and under, were there. And we were sitting around the lunch table, and my sister offered to make me a salad. It was in jest. She knew my feelings towards that before she even asked. And she said, I have lots of arugula, which I think if I've never ingested poison purposefully, but if I did, I happen to think it would taste a lot like arugula. And I merely responded, I hate arugula. And to which her, her oldest son, Connor, started freaking out. He's like, Uncle Brian used the H word. Uncle Brian used the H word. And I'm like, Uncle Brian didn't use the H word right now. And, and then I'm like, what? what? What are you talking about? And he's like, the H word, the H word. I'm like, what is the H word? Because, you know, I've got a couple words that I would reference as the H word. And they didn't just come out of my mouth. And I found out it's hate. It's hate. My sister doesn't like her kids to say hate, so it's the H word, and, and they're not supposed to say hate. Because hate brings up this uncomfortable, just this uncomfortable response. But here's the problem. Hate is something that God possesses. And here's the even bigger problem. It would be so great if we were just like, ah, oh, there's six things the Lord hates, seven of which 
They're an abomination. And we could just dismiss it there because then the, the saying that a lot of us have heard and a lot of us grew up with, God loves the sinner but hates the sin would ring true. But the problem with that is the entire picture of Scripture, and that's Psalm 5.5, which says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. That's what Psalm 5 5 says. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. And so, if we believe that all scripture is inspired, and we do, and we believe that all scripture comes from God, and we do, we have a problem here with the whole God loves the sinner but hates the sin because Psalm 5 5 lets us know no, God hates the sinner. It's even more personal in Romans 9. Romans 9, 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this dilemma? That's what we're going to answer today. So let's pull this passage apart. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, pride, pride. This is the first, the first sin that's, that's mentioned in this list, and it's also the first sin that, that ever took place. God created everything. It was good. He created a band of, of angels, the chief of which was Lucifer. Lucifer fell and became Satan, Isaiah 14, 13 and 14, chronicles that fall, and this is what it says. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Just as God gave each of us free will, he gave the angels free will. And Lucifer chose to exalt himself and his kingdom above and himself like the Most High. It's pride. It's pride. We're familiar with pride, right? I mean, the, the two biggest celebrities in this town have the nicknames of Johnny Football and the King. We understand pride. We get it. And it gets, even, it gets even more muddied now because of everything that goes on on social media. And people tell you, you've got to brand yourself. You've got to, you've got to have yourself out there. You've got to put yourself out there where people can see. You've got to build yourself up. And, and what happens if we're not careful is all of a sudden the accomplishments that we let people know of in an attempt to garner their business and their attention becomes that which we allow to define ourselves and we allow ourselves to just become the most proud people. We've got to guard against that. 
Here's the problem about pride especially. It's hard to guard against. Recently, the Harvard Business Review published six starting points for developing humility. I thought these were great. Notice how many of these directly align with Scripture. These are the, these are the six starting points for developing humility from the last fall's Harvard Business Review. Number one, know what you don't know. Number two, resist falling for your own publicity. Number three, never underestimate the competition. Number four, embrace and promote a spirit of service. Number five, listen even to and especially to the weird ideas. Number six, be passionately curious. Be passionately curious. You want to fight against pride? You want to foster humility? Look out from your own self. Look out from your own self. God hates pride. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, lies. God hates lies. In his book, How Do You Kill 11 Million People, Andy Andrews examines Hitler's rise to power and the lack of response from the German people, of which no more than 10% of were actively part of the Nazi movement when Hitler was in power. Andrews presents a Hitler quote in his book, which stated, how fortunate for leaders that men do not think. Make the lie big, make it simple, keep saying it, and eventually they will believe it. In Mein Kampf, Hitler's autobiography, he wrote, the great masses of the people will more easily fall victim to a big lie than a small one. The book was widely read by the German people at the time. The masses believed him anyway. This is what's so dangerous about lying. It oftentimes works. was so dangerous and it's so appealing and the appeal is lost because as it works right away you you have a certain level of satisfaction you think it's over but it's never over and there's always a follow-up and there's always further investigation and then because of one lie that seemed to work another lie has to come into the equation and another lie and another lie and another lie and sooner or later the truth will be found out but it, it just at first lying seems to work and we rationalize it we rationalize it away so easily well i had to lie to spare their feelings it's an insignificant matter. It doesn't, it's not that big a deal, etc. God hates it. And I promise you this if you stop lying, you will experience more short term pain, but less long term heartache. 
Cut out the lies. You will experience more short-term pain, but less long-term heartache. God hates it. And hands that shed innocent blood. Murder. Ah, and we all sigh. Like, finally. Yeah, I'm pretty guilty of the pride. Pretty guilty of the lie. I've never killed somebody. One out of three. All right. Everybody, you feel free. Just sigh. We're like, yeah. Yeah, all right. I'm tracking with you now, Brian. We're good. We're good. <laughs> See, I'm not that bad. I'm not three for three. Oh. So, Matthew 5, oh, Jesus raises the standard. It says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, anybody who's angry at their brothers committed murder in their heart. Three for three. Three for three. And like all things, we rationalize it. I'm a man. It's just part of being a man. Get angry. Can't help it. It's just the way I'm wired. I mean, you ever, you ever sit around with a bunch of guys and you have accountability, but you don't really want to reveal anything too deep, and it just goes around, I struggle with anger. Yeah, me too. Yeah, anger. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like it's a, a permissible sin, and we just we, we rationalize it and we reason it away because you have testosterone, and it, it's, it's not an excuse. I'm stressed from work. I was provoked. That woman didn't know how to drive, et cetera, et cetera. We have all the excuses in the world. And I'm not saying women in general. I'm just saying that particular woman who cut you off. I want to clarify. We have all the excuses in the world. We can get down to the core. God hates it. God hates it. A heart that devises wicked plans. I want you to notice something. Back in Isaiah 14, 13, which we read about the fall of Lucifer. You notice how those two verses started? You said... In your heart. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You said in your heart. Sin isn't what's out there. Sin isn't what we do. I mean, it is. But that's not, that's not the crux of it. 
I am sin. It is my makeup. And most sin that I am guilty of, most sin that I commit occurs right here. The actions sometimes follow. But this is the problem with sin. God hates sin. God hates the sinner. You know why God hates the sinner? Because sin is the very fiber and the very fabric of our being. It is what we are. The heart that devises wicked schemes. It's not enough for me to fix everything I do. I have to fix who I am. Because I'm sick. Heart that devises wicked schemes. Sin comes from within. And this is the first thing I need to fix. It's not my conduct. It's me. That's where the problem lies. Inside of me. In who I am. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. People who seek it out. I don't know enough to take sides in what's going on in Ferguson, Missouri. I don't have all the details. But I, I saw something on NPR this week that I was just fascinated with. And this is what NPR reported. Of the 51 people who were arrested Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, only one person was from Ferguson. Of 51 people who were arrested Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, only one person was from Ferguson. The rest were from surrounding towns and faraway cities such as Des Moines, Iowa, Chicago, Illinois, and New York. They were arrested for property damage, disorderly conduct, and burglary. Do you run? Do you run to evil? And we see an example like Ferguson, we're like, no, Brian, we're all here. We weren't rioting this week. We're good. Excellent application. So let's make it a little more personal, something we all tend to be a little more guilty of. When you hear that story, oh, and it just sounds so good. And it's titillating, and it's tantalizing, and it's, oh, just... 
you pick up the phone? You text anybody else? Do you keep it going? Or does it die? To make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. We've already discussed lying. This is lying with, with a specific intent. This is, this is perjury. Having a specific intent to, to defraud or to demean or damage another individual. And one who sows discord among brothers. Disunity. Look, it's, it's not been a good summer for Christians and publicity. It's not been a good six weeks. On the front page of yesterday's New York Times was an article about Mark Driscoll, and, and this is one of those times you just kind of wish that the newspaper industry was just dying and wasn't figuring out the whole web presence thing because it let it go a lot wider than it otherwise would have in, in New York and surrounding areas that get the New York Times. But the article was entitled this, A Brash Style That Filled Pews Until Followers Had Their Fill. Mark Driscoll is being urged to leave Marcel Church. Look, I'm not taking a side on, on Mark Driscoll. I'm not taking a side on, on everything that's going on there. A couple weeks ago, the 15-year-old son of Ergen Canner, who had previously made claims to have been a, a converted Muslim to Christianity and, and rose to preeminence, and, and then there have been disputes about how much of his account is actually legitimate. His 15-year-old son took his own life a couple weeks ago. In the weeks leading up to that, and days leading up to that, he had been engaged in a Twitter war with a pastor who was sending him messages offering to reveal the truth of his father to a 15-year-old kid. I'm not saying that he killed himself because of that, but I'm saying it certainly didn't help. I'm not saying whether or not Mark Driscoll needs to step down for, for things that have happened over the course of his ministry, quite frankly. I'm not a member of Mars Hill. I'm not an elder there. It's, it's not really any, any of my business. I, I just reference these cases to, to point to you that, that it's so clear. It is so clear to society. We love to eat our own. got to stop. We've got to stop. The biggest reason we need to stop is God hates it. That's all the reason we should need. In addition to that, it makes us look bad. We 
would love to go after our own. And that's not to say that Ergen Canner should be excused for falsifying reports of his conversion. And it's not to say that Mark Driscoll should be excused for potential abuses that he committed in the role of pastor. But what it is to say is there is a time and there is a place and there is a process that God established within the scriptures for the church to handle these matters. And we need to pay respect to that process. And we need to realize we are not the final judge. That is Jesus. Don't. Don't be a brother who sows discord. They will know you're my disciples by your love. John 13, 35. A couple weeks ago, I got the great new album by Tom Petty. And it's just a phenomenal album. And the second track on the album's entitled Fault Lines. Here are the lyrics that Petty wrote in that song. See those fault lines lay down like landmines. It's hard to relax. A promise broken, the ground breaks open. Love falls through the cracks. And I've got a few of my own. I've got a few of my own fault lines running under my life running under my life. I'm alone here. I play the odds, dear. I go where I please. Down below, the man I know might not be me. And I wonder how much self-deception goes on in our own hearts, in our own lives. How often do we convince ourselves we're okay? And we're guilty. God hates these sins. Does God hate the sinner? Yes. But that's not the end of the story. Because there's a dynamic within the heart of God. He hates the sinner. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus, to be the sin that he hates so much for on a cross. This is the story of grace. Jesus came not to forgive just the things I do. Jesus came to forgive the person that I am. Because a righteous God hates it. But a gracious and merciful God loves me in spite of it. 
The story isn't over with God's hatred. God's hatred led the way to his grace when he sent his son Jesus to die upon the cross so that all that I am, every part of my being could be redeemed, could be forgiven, could be made new. So that the hatred of God could be replaced by the acceptance of God and the love of God and the adoption into his family as a son. This is the message of the cross. This is the message of grace. It's not just the things I do. It's who I am. So I wonder what's running under our lives. I wonder, can we identify with Tom? He writes, the man I know down below might not be me. Have we deceived ourselves? Have we convinced ourselves that we're okay? So here's what I want you to do. The man's going to come on. We're going to sing a song in a minute about the holiness of God. And I want you to sing, but I want you to examine your heart at the same time. And if you're a Christ follower, I want you to think of these things that God hates. And ask yourself, are they present in your life? Not just on the surface, not just outwardly, but especially inside of you. And if you're here and you're not really sure about this whole grace thing, and you're not really sure about Jesus, and you're not really sure about what's going on, I just want you to, during this song, just cry out to God however you can, in your heart. And ask him to reveal himself to you. God, I pray that we would not be guilty of doing things you hate. And God, I also pray that you would transform us. God, help us see that sin is not just our actions it is us. And give us a newfound appreciation for your grace and what your son Jesus accomplished on our behalf when he died upon a cross and rose again. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.